Welcome to the Whitefields Community Church Podcast. For more information about our church, including location and service times, visit us online at whitefieldschurch.com. If you are blessed by this message, please consider sharing it with others and leaving a rating or review on your favorite podcast app. turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. We're going to pick it up in verse 18 today. Let's go ahead and pray one more time as we focus our attention on God's Word. Lord God, we thank you again for the privilege that it is to, to be gathered here, to be able to serve you, to be able to be a part of the work that you are doing, both here in Longmont and beyond. And and Lord, we just pray that you would bless this time in your word, that, that we would have ears to hear what your spirit is speaking to us, to your church. Lord, we want to open up our hearts to you, to your word, as you open up your word to our hearts. Have your way in this place. Speak to us now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, have you ever searched on one of those popular job sites when you're looking for a job, and usually what we're looking for is the highest paying job with the least amount of effort, or, or we're looking for a job with the best benefits, you know, like uh, free coffee while you work or, or unlimited free Fruit Loops at the office, you know, those type of benefits. Well, imagine, if you will, for a moment, we're looking through one of these job sites, and we're just scrolling through, and oh, here we go. Here's, a, here's an interesting title, Transportation Liaison. That sounds French, so that's fancy. Liaison. Uh, so let's read the job description here. It says, 40-year uh, commitment, 168-hour work week, must be willing to relocate to the desert, lead 2 million people, and tend to their needs, usher them into a land flowing with milk and honey. But you don't get to go there. Implement protocols directed by the CEO and enforce said protocols. Now, there are some benefits. Meals provided for 40 years. Hazard pay is zero. Vacation time is none. Retirement, when you're dead. Qualifications. Must be highly educated, experienced tending sheep, must understand both Hebrew and Egyptian customs. And then there's fine print. It says, this job may be hazardous to your physical, mental, and emotional health. You may find yourself constantly judged and criticized. The people you are leading are notorious complainers. Click here to apply. <laughs> Just keep scrolling here. Uh, it sounds like a hard job. Oh, here's one interesting title. It says, World Changer. Job description. Help change the world for good. Pay invaluable treasure. Lots of it. So far, so good. But what are the requirements? Requirements. Follow the CEO. He will not require anything from you more than what he equips you to do. Previous experience, not required. Begin your relationship with the CEO today and you will have all of the qualifications that you need. The benefits, a generous retirement package, including a fully funded pension, permanent mortgage-free, tax-free property, and get this, paradise. And it says, rewards are not based on performance, but rather on faithfulness to the task at hand. Hiring on the spot, simply click to apply. What do you think? I'm clicking there. Oh, hey, look, we're hired. <laughs> Imagine that. 
Uh, but here's the interesting thing about those two job descriptions. Essentially, they describe the same job. It's just one of the jobs is very specific to one individual. The first one sounds really scary, right? You read that description, and it sounds super scary. Or as kids might say nowadays, sounds super sketch, or maybe a little sus. I do that because I enjoy watching my children melt when I use modern vernacular against them. No, but it's super scary because so much of the information was given to us in advance, so much of the detail, and we would look at that first job description and say, well, I can't do that, or I'm not qualified to do that, I don't have time to do that, and I don't even know if I'd want to do that. But the second job now, that one sounds a little, you know, a little more comfortable, a little more my speed. You just follow the CEO around and, and he equips you to do whatever he wants you to do and there's no pressure. I like that idea. Well, the title of the message today is Focus on Following Jesus. Focus on Following Jesus. Today we're going to see Jesus call disciples. He's going to call them to follow him. And we are going to see that by focusing on following Jesus, he will transform us. We will become responsive to him, and we will avoid comparing ourselves to others. Now, up to this point in the Gospel of Matthew, we have seen the start of Jesus' ministry. We saw him baptized by John in the Jordan River. We saw him led by the Spirit to be tested in the wilderness. We've seen him dwell in Capernaum and begin to preach, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so now we start in verse 18, where we see the first part of our sentence, and that is, by focusing on following Jesus, he transforms us. So let's read verse 18 through 20. It says, And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, anytime we come across Jesus in a passage of Scripture, it's always good to make observations. What is Jesus doing, and what can we learn from what Jesus is doing? And the first two things that we see Jesus doing are he is walking, and he saw Peter and Andrew. He's walking, and he saw He was not running. He wasn't running around, and he was not searching. He wasn't running to and fro, searching, looking, saying, hey, would you like to be my disciple? Oh, how about you? Maybe you. And he's running around. I got to get some followers to do this whole ministry thing. And he starts running around. He's not doing that. He is walking, and he sees exactly who he wants, who he's going to call. Jesus does the same thing today. He just, he walks and he sees. See, in Revelation chapter 2 and 3, this is where Jesus writes seven letters to seven churches. And he's a message to each of these seven churches. But before he starts the first letter to the first church, the church in Ephesus, it says that Jesus is walking amongst his church. He's walking. Still, to this day, the glorified, resurrected Jesus is walking amongst his church. And then to each of those churches, he says, I see you. I see you. 
Now, if you turn to Revelation 2 and 3, you'll find that it says, well, I know your works, or I know your situation, or I know, but that word know in the Greek is actually a word that can be translated see, and it's oftentimes translated see more, or it's more often translated see than know in the New Testament, and the idea is that he knows because he sees. He knows what's going on in his church because he walks amongst us and he sees. And what does he do when he sees? He sees Peter and Andrew and he invites them to follow. What does he do in the church today as he walks amongst us and sees us, sees each of us? He invites us. He invites us to follow him. So he invites Peter and Andrew. Andrew. One of the 12, Andrew, who, was, who gave his life for Christ as a witness to Christ in Greece, according to church tradition. But another thing that we don't always recognize about Andrew is he's an evangelist, and he actually is responsible for introducing Peter to Jesus, or Jesus to Peter, or however that works. But he, he met Jesus, and he went and got his brother Peter, and he said, hey, Peter, we found the Messiah. You need to come meet him. And he says, here's Jesus, meet Jesus. And so this is not the first time that Peter and Andrew have interacted with Jesus. It's not the first time that John and James interacted with Jesus, as we will see in a moment. So they have had previous interactions with Jesus. They knew Jesus, but this is the moment where Jesus calls them to follow him. Now, Peter, on the other hand, we know a lot more about Peter. Uh, We've we know the stories. He walked on water. He wrote First and Second Peter. He rebuked Jesus. He was called Satan by Jesus. He said, get behind me, Satan. He cut off some guy's ear. He denied Jesus three times under pressure. But then we also know that he was transformed by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. As on the day of Pentecost, he's full of the Spirit. He goes out and he preaches the first gospel message under the influence and power of the Spirit, and 3,000 people got saved. And he was a bold witness for Jesus all the way up into the end. And church tradition again states that he was crucified for his witness in Rome. So these are the men that Jesus calls. And he says to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So he invites them to be his students, to be his understudies, to be his disciples, to be part of the work that God is doing, both now, presently, in the ministry of Jesus, and beyond as the church begins there on the day of Pentecost. He invites them to be a part of God's work. And when he invites them to follow, he promises that he will make them. He says, I will make you fishers of men. Now, you are not fishers of men yet, but I will make you into fishers of men. I will make you into who I have called you to be. And notice he doesn't necessarily call them directly into ministry, although they will do ministry. He doesn't call them to ministry. He calls them to follow him. Follow me, he says. Because all ministry is an extension of a relationship with Jesus. Now, Acts chapter 4, verse 13, it says, When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, who is the they in that passage? This is the religious leaders. 
the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and, and the seminary degrees and, the, and the, the masters of divinity, those guys, the religious people, it says when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and recognized that they were uneducated, unlearned, basically that they were a bunch of dummies, when they saw that they were bold like that and effective in ministry, they marveled. They couldn't understand it. It doesn't make any sense. They don't have the same type of degrees that we have. What's going on here? And they recognized and took note that they had been with Jesus, that they had followed Jesus, that they were still following Jesus, that that's the key, that when you follow Jesus, he transforms your life into effective ministry. Because again, all ministry is an extension of a relationship with Jesus. And he promises to make them effective. We look at situations, we look at opportunities around us, and a lot of times we say, I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I'm equipped to do that. I'm just a, and fill in the blank, just a what? Just a fisherman? Just follow Jesus. Just be with Jesus, and you will have everything that you need to do exactly what he's called you to, because when you focus on following him, he will transform you. He will make you. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It says, We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for good works that he before ordained for us to walk in. You are his workmanship. You're his work of art. He is molding you. He is making you. He has created you. And he's created you for a purpose, for good works that he's already prepared for you to walk in. So he's preparing you for the works, but he's prepared works for you. And you just focus on following him because when you follow him, he transforms you. He makes you. He molds you. And he prepares you to be effective in whatever he has invited you to be a part of. Well, that leads us to the second part of our sentence. By focusing on following Jesus, we become responsive to him. So going from there, he saw two other brothers, James and John, and his brother. Uh, in the boat was Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. So he goes on, and he sees two more. Again, he's not searching. He didn't put up you know, one of those pieces of paper on a telephone pole with little tabs that say, you know, take one of these tabs if you're interested in being one of my disciples. Now, they didn't have telephone poles back then, but you get the idea. He wasn't searching and looking. He saw exactly who he wanted. And he saw James and John, the sons of thunder. That's their nickname in the Bible. The sons of Sunday. These are, these are the two, or these are two of the three, Peter being the third, that were part of Jesus' inner circle. And that just means that they were part of some, they had some experiences that the other disciples didn't have. For example, the healing of Jairus' daughter, she had died, and then Jesus raises her up. They were witnesses of that. They were witnesses of the, the, on the Mount of Transfiguration with where Jesus is there with Moses and Elijah and, and the glory of God shines before them. And that's Mark chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 17, respectively. And so they were part of that inner circle. James, he was the first apostle to be martyred, and you can read about that in Acts chapter 12. John is the only apostle to not be martyred, even though they tried. 
They tried to boil him in oil and then banish him to the island of Patmos. He's also the disciple that Jesus loved. We know that because he told us, because he wrote the Gospel of John, and that's where it tells us that. But he also wrote 1 John, 2 John, 3 John, and the book of Revelation. So Jesus calls James and John. And what I want us to look at here is what was their response? What was the response time? Did Jesus say, hey, guys, come follow me? And did they sit there and ponder and think, hmm, follow you. Wonder what that would entail. Let's see. Well, I'd have to leave my occupation. I, go do, I mean, there's no guarantee of income if we follow you. I don't, I mean, it sounds like a hard job, you know, traveling around and going from place to place, and I'm not sure. And uh, mm. It doesn't say that. It says that immediately they followed him. They dropped everything, and they followed him. The same was true of Peter and Andrew. It says immediately they followed. So the response time was immediate. Now, I'd mentioned before, and we don't have time to get into all the parallel passages, but this was not their first interaction with Jesus. They had met Jesus. They knew Jesus. And they knew Jesus, so when it came time for Jesus to call them, they responded. And I do believe that there's a direct correlation to how well we know Jesus and how quickly we respond to him. And when we focus on him and focus on following him, it affects our response time to when he does invite us, when he does call us to be a part of what he's doing. That being said, not every hero in the Bible responds immediately. And maybe you can relate to some of those. But there's one in particular that I find fascinating, and that is in Exodus chapter 3, we have Moses. Moses is called by God to follow him and to do a task, right? So this is where Moses is out in the wilderness. He's tending his father-in-law's sheep, and he sees a burning bush, and he says, oh, that's interesting. I should go check that out. And so he checks it out, and God speaks to him from the burning bush, and God says to him, Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh, and I want you to bring my people up out of Egypt. And so what does it say Moses does? It says, immediately he follows him. No, it doesn't say that. In fact, it says kind of the opposite. It says, Moses says, who am I? You're calling me to do this thing? Who am I? Who am I? And, and I think that we get that a lot of times. You know, we have an opportunity to serve God, be involved in a ministry, be involved in something at the church, and we just think, well, who, who, who am I? I'm nobody. Moses felt like he was nobody. But what does God say to Moses? He says, certainly, I will be with you. I will be with you. And to that, Moses says, what does that have to do with anything? And sometimes that's our reaction, too. God says, hey, you want to go be a part of this thing that I'm doing over here? And, and we say, oh, I don't know. Who am I? And God says, I'll, I'll be with you. And that should be enough, should it not? God, the God, the creator of the universe is with you. He's in you. Boy, seems like that'd be enough, but not for Moses. Because then Moses says, well, well, then what do I say to them? I don't even know what I would say. And God says, just tell them, I am has sent me to you. And at that point, Moses says, well, <laughs> what if they don't believe me? Now, I can say that, I can recite that, but what if they don't believe 
that I'm sent by you. And then God says, well, Moses, what's in your hand? He says, well, I got this stick in my hand. He says, well, throw it on the ground. Throws it on the ground. It turns into snakes. He goes, oh, snake. Uh, just kidding. He doesn't say that. That was just me. Uh, he says, pick it up. So he picks it up, and it turns back into a stick. And at this point, I believe Moses probably said, I don't need that stick anymore, and chucks it over here. And then God says, Moses, take your hand. Put it in your pocket. Puts it in his pocket, pulls it out. It's leprosy. He puts it back in his pocket, pulls it out. It's back to normal. And what's God communicating to Moses at this point? He says, Moses, I can use anything. I can use a stick in your hand. I, I, can, I can use your hand. I don't need, I, God can do anything in you and through you to accomplish his will in your life and through your life. Whatever he's called you to do, he will make you. And so at that point, Moses says, okay, sign me up. No, not yet. Then he says, Lord, I'm not, a, I'm not eloquent of speech. I'm not, I'm not good at this whole public speaking thing. You want me to talk in front of Pharaoh, the king? You want me to talk in front of two million people? I'm not good at public speaking. Anytime I talk in front of people, words get all jumbled together. I get nervous. My palms sweat. My mouth gets dry. I wouldn't know anything about that. But you know what? This verse actually means a lot to me because there was a time in my life where speaking in front of people, I was petrified. And that's putting it mildly. Uh, and I won't get into the details. But God showed me this verse and the verses that follow, and I thought, boy, I can relate to Moses. I'm not eloquent of speech, and I'm not sure I would want to do that type of job ever. But then God says to Moses, he says, who made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf, seen or blind? Have not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go. I will be with your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. And again, Every excuse that Moses has had up to this point, God responds. Now, the first one, I'll be with you, should have been enough. But God will be with you. He will show himself strong on behalf of you. He will help you speak. He will teach you what to say. What do you have to do? Trust him. Just trust him. Step out and see what he might do through you if you can trust that he will help you speak and teach you what to say. And then Moses says, Lord, just send someone else, please. Uh, and so the Lord says, nope, sorry, you're the guy. And so then he sends Aaron to help him out, and, and then the rest is history. And Moses is the hero of the story as God uses him to deliver his people out of bondage in Egypt. But I say that because it's good to know that there were reluctant heroes in the Bible. There are more than just Moses. Esther, she was reluctant at first. Jonah, he went the opposite direction of what God was calling him to do. Gideon, he wanted a bunch of signs before he was convinced that God was actually calling him to do something for his kingdom. Ananias, another guy in the New Testament, he was a little bit hesitant. I mean, after all, he was called to go um, pray for Paul or Saul, who was persecuting the church at the time. And he says, Lord, are you sure you got the right guy? I mean, I'm the right guy, but I don't know about that guy if I'm supposed to go talk to him. And so he was reluctant at first, but all of them do end up fulfilling God's call, even though they didn't do it like we see here immediately. Well, at verse 20, 23, it says, Jesus went about all Galilee teaching in their synagogue 
and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of diseases among the people. So Jesus went about. He was active. He was proactive. He wasn't just waiting for people to come to him. He wasn't teaching from one pulpit. He was teaching from many pulpits. He was going to all the synagogues in the region and teaching them. And then it says he was preaching the gospel. And what's the difference between teaching and preaching? Well, teaching is when you explain something, when you instruct. Preaching is when you proclaim, when you announce, when you declare. And so the content can be the same, but the delivery can be different. So Jesus went about both teaching and preaching. And then it says that he went about healing as well. And healing is important because in Isaiah chapter 35, healing was a fulfillment of prophecy that spoke to, that pointed to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah. So it's a fulfillment of prophecy. It's also a mark of the Messiah, that the Messiah was coming to heal, and Jesus was healing. And it also shows that Jesus has power over the fall. Sin has corrupted this world. And, and so Jesus is showing that he has power over the fall and the ability to make things right. And so all this going about and all this ministry that Jesus is doing, what is the result? Verse 24, it says, Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics and paralytics, and he healed them. So the result of all this ministry was more ministry. So he goes about, he's active, he's proactive, and then people start coming to him. And what does he do when the people start coming to him? The same thing he was doing, teaching, preaching, healing. Jesus drew his strength for ministry from the time that he spent with the Father. So I want us to just kind of touch on that just for a moment, that Jesus ministered, and then he had opportunity to do more and more and more and more. And sometimes we don't know where to draw the line for more and more and more. And when we get active and involved in serving Jesus drew his strength from his time alone with the Father. Again, all ministry flows from a relationship with God. And so Jesus spent time alone with the Father, drawing strength to go out and to do the ministry and the will of the Father who sent him. Now let's read verse 25. It says, Then great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So multitudes now are following Jesus from all over Galilee, so all around the Sea of Galilee, or as Jason referred to it last week as the Lake of Galilee, which, yeah, it is fresh water. He's got a point. Anyway, uh, so around the the lake, but then also from the Decapolis. The Decapolis, this is fascinating, there's 10 Greco-Roman cities, and there are a lot of these ruins to this day, but two of the 10 cities are still active cities because these Ten cities stretched from, in the north, Damascus, still a city, all the way down southeast to Amman, Jordan, still a city. So uh, it's neat that from, from that kind of distance, people are coming down to this region around the Sea of Galilee to, to meet Jesus. And they also came from Jerusalem. They came from Judea. Judea is a large chunk of Israel that stretched from in the north, the border of Samaria, all the way down to in the south in the Negev Desert, and then from the Jordan River all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. So it's a big chunk of Israel. And then it says they came from beyond the Jordan, which is then on the east side of the Jordan. Uh, so 
They were coming from all over, coming out of the woodwork to do what? It says the multitudes followed him. So what were, why, why were these multitudes following him? You know, sometimes we look at that and we think, surely these guys, they, you know, I mean, their motives, they were probably just looking for the next magic trick, you know. Like, hey, hey, come check this guy out. He's healing all kinds of people. Oh, see that guy? You know, see how his leg is like this and it should normally be like this? And well, just wait, watch. And he's going to touch him. Oh, look, there. And he's and is it looking for a magic trick or maybe looking for a free meal. Because, you know, Jesus, he split the loaves and the fish and fed people. They could have been following him for any number of reasons. We do know that there was a point in time where some of these, this multitude that was following Jesus, they bailed. Jesus started talking about some heavy stuff, and they're like, ooh, I don't know about this. I'm out. And then Jesus even asked his own disciples, the 12, he says, well, are you going to go too? And he says, well, where would we go? We don't, I mean, you have the words of eternal life. And so, so we don't know the motives of these guys. We do know that there were more than 12 disciples. We know that the, there were men and women both following. We, we know that there were people that wanted to follow Jesus, that Jesus said, no, 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 you need to stay here. I've got plans for you here. You can't follow me, not yet. And so we don't know the motives of the multitude. And I say that to say this. When we look out amongst the multitude of people that are following Jesus today, what do we do when we see the multitude? Do we look at them and go, oh, they don't serve like I do. I'm, I'm faithful. I come to church every week. I serve in this ministry and that ministry. I lead this Bible study. I lead this small group. I look at all that I do. And they, I think they only come maybe twice a month. And we start to look at the motives of the people around us, or maybe even in other churches. Or we do the opposite thing. And we look at ourselves and say, well, I know I follow Jesus, and, and I go to church where it seems like everybody serves, and, and I could never do that. I mean, they're so gifted, they're so talented, and I, who am I? They've got it all together. They've probably been doing this for years. And I'm just, I've only been walking with the Lord for a few weeks, a few months, a year. I, I could never do that. And we start to compare ourselves the other way. And that leads us to the last part of our sentence. By focusing on following Jesus, we avoid comparing ourselves to others. And we're going to end with John chapter 21. John chapter 21, this is where Jesus is having a conversation with Peter. Peter denied Jesus three times. Jesus was crucified. He was buried. He rose from the dead. And now at this point, the resurrected Jesus is, is meeting with Peter, having a conversation with Peter on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? Peter says, I love you. And, and they have this conversation. He says, feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. And so Jesus communicates to Peter, this is what I'm calling you to do. This is what I've created you for. Feed my sheep. And then Jesus tells him that when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. And this he spoke, signifying by the death he would glorify God. So he tells him, look, this is what I want you to do for ministry. Your life is going to be given in glory of God for the gospel. Then he says to him, Peter, follow me. Follow me. Now, this is, 
This is pre-Pentecost Peter. There are two Peters. No, there's just one Peter. Don't, I'm, I'm not making some new theological thing. Okay. There's one Peter, but Peter, there's pre-Pentecost Peter, and there's post-Pentecost Peter. This is pre-Pentecost Peter. So what does Peter do when Jesus says, Peter, follow me? Peter turns, and he says, what about that guy? What about John? What are you going to do with him? What about him? How is he going to die? What's his ministry? And Jesus says, Peter, don't worry about him. If I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? Peter, you follow me. Focus on following me to avoid comparing yourself to others. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says, Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. Fix your eyes on Jesus. The word picture there is to take your attention from something and move it to something else or to someone else. And so whatever your focus has been on, wherever your focus is, if it's on you comparing yourself to other people or it's on you wrestling with and hesitating on what God's calling you to do or inviting you to do or, or, or you're not sure if, if God actually means that he's going to make you, he's going to transform you, he's going to equip you to do what he's called you to do, Whatever, wherever your focus is, just take your focus and shift it to Jesus. Focus on Jesus because by focusing on following Jesus, He transforms us. We become responsive to him and we avoid comparing ourselves to others. Amen? Amen. You have been listening to a message from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. For more information and audio content, visit us at whitefieldschurch.com. Make sure to tap the subscribe button if you would like to have new messages delivered to your device every week when they are released. If you have been blessed by this message and would like to support our ministry, you can do so by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts or by giving a donation to our church on our website at whitefieldschurch.com.